0: This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by The Automatic Age, the new novel from GMB Kamichek. It's the story of a father and son navigating an automated apocalypse. You can get your copy at greatplains.mb.ca.
1: Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I am here with my producer, Dan Vaderbanker. Whoa. And, whoa. What happened there? Really <laughs> it warbled. It's the connection, Dan. Dan Vanderbanker And uh, Justin Curry, also known as Chasing Artwork. We are not together because we are socially responsible. This is another in our series of distance podcasts. Um, some good feedback came in for uh, Anita's episode. She had a really good time. And got uh, One person texted me said, you guys should uh, pitch your um, podcast to the CBC. Ooh. So I guess we asked her better questions than she got on the CBC interview. <laughs> was, there, was there feedback? Nice. Well, you know what was wild? This is relevant for the people who uh, are curious about how those radio interviews go. I had a pre-interview with the producer first and then all of those same questions that he knew the answers to, he asked. And when I deviated, I don't know if you, if you listened, anytime that he seemed to be fishing for an answer, it was an answer he had expected that I didn't give. For example, um, uh, I was asked a question as to like the origin, like the producer asked me for, you know, what was the reason that you made this book? And I gave a very long-winded answer. And they liked this one little soundbite. was like, ooh, ooh, I like that part. But didn't yeah. clarify to me that the expectation was that when asked that same question, only that soundbite was the <laughs> Right? And so right. I got this sense. I don't remember the exact part. I'd have to listen to it again. But I, I remember him clearly pausing and pivoting and asking a follow-up question that pointed me more at that quotable quote. Hmm. Which was uh, you know an interesting layer to media that I think a lot of people don't know exists. Um, it doesn't
0: it, honestly. CBC does is the only one that does that. Um, people don't have time for CBC job. They don't have time for that. They don't have producers. <laughs> they don't have like extra people to, to do that. So Ouch. it's just a CBC thing.
1: I know hmm. when I was doing interviews uh, for those magazines, those uh, you know like those hardcore metal magazines. Yeah. They had to preview all my answers. They had to have me answer first. They'd ask for the questions and then I'd answer them all like I was going to answer them and then they'd check to see if those were the answers that matched the message that the band wanted and then they'd approve or disapprove my answer the, the question outright. They wouldn't edit my answer. But they'd edit the question that would reveal an answer okay. that they didn't want. Oh. That's that how
2: makes- I feel like every time I see uh like a an actor on like a a a junket for like the new movie. Like, all the answers and stories they tell feel so like juried and scripted. Totally. That uh, totally. I, I just don't like watching them because I can tell like they can't, they can't tell the fun stories. They can't tell like the things they really want to say. They need to stay on brand and stay on script. And always feels like a little just phony.
1: Do you think that's why podcasts are becoming more and more popular? Because you get a more. It's a little candid, more candid,
2: a little more yeah. relaxed.
1: Definitely people feel more
0: relaxed and there's a long. it's a longer format. So whereas yeah. CBC radio is constrained by even CBC, which doesn't have ads, they're still constrained by maybe a 10 minute window to conduct the interview. You you took a full hour to talk to Anita. Right. So that's the that's difference right. there.
1: Yeah. Well, and we had, uh, you know, like this report you know, as well. Yeah. You'll have three minutes to that. He may ask you questions could be as short as two minutes and then you'll, you want to keep your reading, to three minutes and uh what was amazing was the absolute glee on the other end of the phone when they said have you prepared like do you know what you're reading i said yes and then they asked a question that i clearly they were supposed to ask earlier you know did you did you practice did you practice (laughs) do you know that it's exactly three minutes or or are you guessing and i was like no it's three minutes and six seconds or you know uh uh, two minutes and uh, 45 seconds, depending on how quickly I read. And she was like, that is, that's the answer I needed to hear. Thank you so much. Right. Yeah. So I guess they were worried that I would just run away with it and he'd have to interrupt me.
0: Yeah. I'm sure that happens quite often when they don't, when they don't do that. But yeah, that is absolutely CBC thing where they they pre-interview and they do all that stuff. They have the luxury of doing that. And that's, I guess in an effort to create the best possible content Um, because interviews can be unpredictable, right? You don't know what the person's going to say necessarily if you're just going to go off the cuff. Um, So they want to be sure about it. If I'd been
1: nervous about being interviewed, I would have loved the fact
0: that they did. Yeah. And I I imagine more people are nervous about being interviewed than not.
1: Yeah. Didn't you do that like
2: the same day you did the podcast?
1: Yeah, same day as the podcast. Uh, So you were
2: already all warmed up for like kind of interview world?
1: That's right. We did Anita's yeah. podcast, and then right after that, I did the CBC. That's short like the ago.
2: perfect situation to be in. Public speaking um, engagements, like back to back, like nothing's better than that second public speaking.
1: It does run the risk, though, of creating a conversation you're trying to remember rather than one that's an answer uh-huh. to the question. That's why I always feel like if I prepare too much, this I get out of teach Anna about you, Dan, if I over prepare. A lecture and I don't leave room to pivot with the questions or the interests of the class I find myself more easily derailed by a really intelligent question yeah I agree right yeah. and I want to leave that room for that intelligent question to really guide the next step of what we're gonna look at right
0: I'm not as internet famous as you guys but I have a tweet that's that's kind of blowing up a little bit right now oh
1: yeah Um.
0: <laughs> It's funny. It's uh, I made a joke about going grocery shopping um, and how nobody at the grocery store is paying attention to the floor arrows that what? you see. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? How, like how
1: clear cut can you get?
0: <laughs> People don't care. People just don't care. That's, that was my experience yesterday.
1: I have not been to a grocery store since the quarantine started. So Okay, well, they I'm have now.
0: They've made the aisles one-way aisles, so you're not brushing past people as you, which is fine, right? That makes sense. But yeah. I was in the store, and the people were just going everywhere. They were not paying attention at all to the arrows. So I, I said this. I said, nobody is paying attention to grocery store floor arrows, and it will doom us all. And I'm getting quite a response.
1: Yeah, <laughs> people love it. For sure. Uh, you know who else got a crazy response recently on the internet is our uh, Super Pulp Science alumni, um, Peter Tchaikowski.
2: Yeah, what happened there? I, I uh, couldn't find
1: the uh, like oh clip or whatever. That guy. So Peter does. He has got one of the best sense of humors I think of anyone I've ever He's met. A super of, funny guy. Oh yeah, and in the face of adversity, he just his his humor powers just magnified. But there was the Queen's address about COVID, and she happened to be wearing just the right color of green blouse to make it really easy to swap things in and out with Photoshop. Green screen. She basically wore a green screen dress. Yeah. And yeah. so he, you know, he made this tweet that was, he put together a bunch of artwork, put her wearing all these different outfits and shirts and like metal band t-shirts and like cosmic laser cat shirts. And frankly, the best the queen has looked in a long time. I thought and <laughs> he just said, you know, like her wearing that blouse was a gift that keeps on giving, you know, thank you for uh, helping us all get through this tough time. And it just blew up thousands of retweets and you know tens of thousands of likes and it ended up on uh, what last week tonight last week tonight yeah that's right the HBO special uh, show the comedy news program uh, with the shout out so you know sometimes just trying to lift people's spirits is what is, is what's gonna get you I'm trying to find
0: the uh, which episode he was on he was an early I want to say he was early on in the first season
1: uh, I thought it was just It just dropped. Well, because he only did that last week. So it must oh, have when, when was
0: he on the show? When was he on um, um Super Pulp Science? Oh,
1: he oh. was season one. Yeah, he was a season yeah. one. That. Yeah. And I think we that
2: goes talking- to show to like, he probably had, he did not, he probably didn't know if that was going to go anywhere, like, or do anything. It's always those like, little whim projects. So like, oh, hey, this could be fun or this could be funny. Let's, let's spend a day and do that. And then it just, you know, exceeds all expectations and surpasses all those projects and things you've been spending months or years on. It's kind of frustrating in a way, but also awesome.
1: Peter has always had, ever since I've known him, and in full disclosure, we uh, shared a publisher, the aforementioned uh, Horrible Monster uh, CZP publications. We shared a publisher, that's how we met. he has always had this capacity to weaponize his good nature, like to sharpen just that perfect humor into a thing that just slices across barriers and politics. And I'm pretty sure he was the secret voice behind uh, Han Solo dad. He was, yes. Uh, great. So, you know, he just, he gets, he gets what people need. <laughs> and I think that that's, it's an interesting thing. Cause it's like, you know, essentially he's like a visual comedian. And you can't really do sell-out shows when you're like that. So sometimes the best audience you can hope for is just 10,000 retweets. Um, But it does help him in the long run because he does Kickstarters and he does things like that that require community engagement. But how could it be? I don't know. I don't know. But we got to be talking off the mother-son spot of all time. Yeah, I'd say so. Whoa, holy shit. Speaking of Kickstarters, dude, that Starlight Kickstarter was at a million dollars.
2: Uh nine hundred and eighty thousand something like that
1: so adjusted to canadian that's more than a million bucks
2: yeah that uh no that was in canadian
1: oh that's Canadian. oh phew that's canadian oh, oh well phew. you know tell them they'd better hurry i you know that's <laughs> <less> impressive then
2: <laughs> um but like i like with which you'd ask for more money <laughs> you know, like, part of me was thinking about that, like, hmm, maybe I should have written in the contract, like, I get 1% of the Kickstarter <laughs> if it goes, <laughs> or something like that. Um, hey, the next but,
1: one, you should absolutely do that for the next one.
2: <laughs> I think, though, like, because it was, like, how hard this team worked and how great everybody was, I really don't have that, like, greedy, angry, like, oh, I should have, like, gotten more out of this um so
1: hold on wait what you're saying is that if people are well organized thoughtful and honest at the beginning you tend not to hold a grudge about their success (laughs) later.
2: not at all i'm so Mm -hmm. happy that that they got what they got i think yeah they uh brendan like the guy behind this all had like a a live stream of him and his wife in their living room like having champagne as the kickstarter ended it was so cute
1: that is pretty cute but also like It's hard to begrudge people like that who like we've talked about before for years, they've been working on this.
2: Also too, like that, like all that money is going towards stretch goals. It's not like, you know, a hundred grand is going towards the game and then they became, you know, they get the other 800,000 in their bank account to do what they want. Like that's all going somewhere. And probably by the end of this, like, yeah, they'll have made some money, but not what like normal people perceive, you know, like it's not it's not as get rich quick as as you might think. There's so many costs and like hidden costs that they probably are gonna run into that uh you know by the time this is all done like the majority of that goes towards the project and fulfilling those promises that they made. And uh yeah, a little bit goes into their pocket, but I you know the normal not as not as much as you might think.
1: No, well, that's absolutely true. And I was going to say that that's a thing worth talking about, that a Kickstarter success story, people should realize, is not correlate to a bank account transfer.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? Um, let's say you had 10,000 orders of a giant box set. Try yeah. 10,000 things through the mail all across yeah, wh- the planet. Uh,
2: you can't, as an indiv- as an individual, you can't do that, right? So you have to either hire people or wrangle in your friends and family for a weekend. Um, there's, I always think about this one Kickstarter um, back in kind of the early days of of uh, the website, and it was an artist that I followed uh, launched their first. They wanted to take a couple months off work and print their first graphic novel, and so they were asking for I think thirty five or forty thousand dollars to basically just work from home for a couple months and print the books, right? Like pretty, pretty reasonable. Um, And their Kickstarter ended up being fairly successful and got, I want to say like close to $300,000 in stretch goals and donations and whatnot. But by the time this artist had printed all the books he needed to and shipped them all out, he had to take out a bank loan. Because the amount of shipping and stressful uh, complications that you didn't foresee and the amount of like financial and emotional stress it caused them, like it turned into a nightmare. And this at the beginning, right, this was a huge success story. Dan, what was your kind of review um, or summation of like your Kickstarter experience and would you do it again?
0: Uh, yes but i would be much more organized about it than what it was it was nerve-wracking because we did not hit yeah. our goal until the very last day um and it was a big push at the very end to get there so that was the that was the most like nerve-wracking part and I was nowhere near as organized as the starlight guys are as far as having all this content done ahead of time like you and i've talked to a number of people who've done this uh, many times and now i know that that's Definitely what you should do is prepare everything ahead of time. So you just roll it out and you're ready to go and you're ready to market it. Um, it was a great, you know, obviously we were happy because we made our goal, but geez, man, I would totally do that different now. <laughs> it was so, I was so worried. I was like, oh, and I mean, Kickstarter, they always get you with the, well, if you don't make it all, then you don't get anything. Right. So they have that. Kind yeah. of, so people are kind of waiting to see, I think a lot of people waiting to see how we did. And if we were, <laughs> when we were short, they like, okay, fine, we'll chip in. But uh, mm-hmm. for a while there, was, it was pretty, you know, it was up in the air. It almost seems to be
2: like one or the other. You either get like funded in the first 24 hours or you get funded in the last 24 hours.
0: Yeah, okay. um, I was told yeah. that uh, it was better to do a 30-day campaign than a 60-day because it's another option. Um, mm-hmm. And I agree with that. I didn't do that. I did the 60-day because I wanted as much time as possible. And I think that was a mistake because there's no sense of urgency when it's a 60-day campaign. Like People are like, oh yeah, I'll get to it. I'll, I'll donate yeah. later. Um, and then they don't and they forget. Whereas a 30-day gives it a much more uh, clear sense of urgency. And I and think, well, we have to donate now before it's too late.
1: So. It's funny that you say that because the Dreadstar Returns Kickstarter launched yesterday was funded in like 13 hours, but there's like 40 some days left on the campaign. I don't know how many. So I just clicked remind me instead of back it right away.
2: Yeah. Why would they do a 60 day campaign?
1: Do you think? Uh, Maybe they just assume that everyone would love them so much. Yeah. They were asking for, I think, I don't know, 15 or 20 and they got like 90 grand right away.
0: I mean, Dreadstar is
1: one of the, if if you're a uh, comic book collector and you don't know about Dreadstar, Jim Starling's Dreadstar which he wrote and illustrated. Uh, shame on you.
0: What is this? I didn't even, I've i never heard of this Kickstarter.
1: Uh, it just launched yesterday but it's The Return. They, they, he did a new story. So Dreadstar was like a, a famous, not ah, famous, it was a popular independent comic in the 80s early 90s. Uh, it was fantastic. It was like a space opera slash almost superhero slash almost D&D. Like it was very genre blended. Um, and had magic the in there of being uh, made by the guy made by the same guy who invented Thanos and all the big Marvel villains of that era so he had some sort of cachet a novelist as well and did a bunch of other stuff but this was his independent comic series and it's sort of been uh, languishing for a while I know the option got kicked up by Netflix to develop it as a series and then after that I never heard anything again about getting off the ground because development hell kind of eats up all that stuff yeah. and, then, and i see an angle here what's happened this is me now this is just absolutely my opinion i don't know this for a fact but one of the kickstarter stretch goals was an encyclopedia that collects all the biographical information and character descriptions and uh it's basically the world bible that you would turn into a producer they made one right. of the goals <laughs> right, we'll make a uh, like Marvel Universe style companion, but it's actually the kind of thing you'd need to, in order to pitch the show to begin with. That's
2: very clever of them. That's very much two birds, two stones.
1: Right now, I don't know if that's in or fact the case. Maybe they just really loved Marvel Universe and said, you know, let's do one of those for Dreadstar, and that was it. But it does feel to me like the kind of the kind of things they have already put together very well are the kinds of things that you and I have had to figure out how to put together for pitching things. So it just. Mm-hmm. Felt like it had the same architecture which yeah. is cool. I mean I'm a big Dreadstar fan. It was also interesting that was a comic that followed the rule uh, every comic is somebody's first comic almost to the letter because the first three pages of every issue of Dreadstar was an uh, illustrated catch up of the story so far that he mm. would redraw for every issue depending cool. right so the collected editions up until now have been very strange because every 20 pages is another five page recap of the thing you just recap yeah but slightly different artwork slightly different recap each time kind of like the way um a long form tv series will will show you the previously on and they'll highlight the character information that is most relevant to the new episode
2: felt like that was always a bit of a spoiler as to what's going to happen in the current episode. It's like, oh. hey, remember this one little element? Well, yeah. we're bringing attention to that because you're going to need to remember that in 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, totally. I actually hate that, but I mean, I get it. Yeah.
0: No, uh, but it's effective for television. And I like that he did it for comic books because you could really come in at any moment and yeah. pick up an issue yeah. and still know what's going on. Like, that's the benefit to that. Yeah. Um, so I did like that. And a lot of comic books used to do that, not without illustrated... Um, you know, intro like that, but a lot of them would have a little blurb at the very beginning, like a paragraph yeah. or something, explaining what happened, especially for like crossovers and stuff like that. Um, so you do want to try and get you in at any point, and then maybe you could go back and read the other issues after the fact. But uh, I'm I uh, I think I've told you this, Greg. I was a huge Dread Star fan when I was a kid. I did I did collect that for quite a while, and I want to get in on this now. I didn't know this was happening.
1: I don't know that we. I knew that about you. I don't know that. We, well, I'm sure
0: we t- we had talked about it. I think.
1: No, Dan, my admiration of you has increased <laughs> tenfold. Yeah. I, was, I was
0: the only one I knew. Only one in my group of friends who collected oh comics. My God. That I like was Dread the Star.
1: only one I knew. Yeah. <laughs>
0: You're like, what is this? It's weird. I don't like this. Dan, it's got a cat. <laughs> I wish you were right
1: close now. enough that I could hug you <laughs> and we could cement this bond of our love of Dreadstar with a manly, fulsome hug, but alas. Oh, uh,
2: Alas.
1: I'm still here, Chief. <laughs> I went and dug out my old run of Dreadstar just so that I could, uh, just so I could revisit it. Even though I have a collected edition, I wanted to go through the issues again. Uh, but the Kickstarter s- collects all three volumes as a big omnibus, like big, huge, twelve hundred page thing, plus the new uh, Dreadstar stories.
0: This is real. It's nice. really reasonable too. It's like a, thirty bucks for the for the thing, and there's all kinds of other rewards too. So.
1: Yeah. Speaking of the way that the Kickstarter is organized, I think one thing they did well there was, if you're already a Dreadstar completist, they're not trying to sell you a bunch of stuff you already have plus a bonus. They're saying, hey, you only want the new thing? It's this much money. Yeah. Hey, you want the new thing, but only digitally because you don't like to collect things anymore? It's this much money, right? It's, uh, I thought really clever the way they tiered it, um, looking through the eyes of a comic collector and a person who has seen the speculator market ebb and flow. Uh, I thought that was really good. So they have all these
0: cool variant covers from all these different artists, so you can kind of get everybody else's take on it, which is cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was really, I'm, uh, I'm quite interested in getting it. But again, how we got on this topic was that it got, I just clicked remind me because the length, it was too soon and it was already funded, so it kind of felt like a foregone conclusion. And I wonder how often that happens yeah. in the Kickstarter ecology.
2: I think that's probably important uh, or why it's important to um, let people know ahead of time, like on this date, the Kickstarter launches, like have people excited about the launch of it so they can get in on the ground floor and feel like they were, you know, there at the beginning.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Rather
2: than find it halfway through like you did and I'll get to it later.
1: Yeah. And it's funny too, because what it made me do, the nostalgia activated and had I been at the studio unable to reach out and touch my Dreadstar collection i probably would have bought it right then uh. because i was like "Ooh, mm, Dreadstar!" <laughs> i went and got all my Dreadstars, and i'm reading them all and i have in my mind i have time to go through the entire run and then order the next issue
0: you know that to me i feel like that would not be a good comic to adapt to a, a tv series or movie um i feel like i would be disappointed in it uh, uh that. yeah it
1: could be disappointing but it could also be uh could also be spectacular. Well,
0: I think of Valerian um, and that whole thing, and, and that oh. was like a really well oh, yeah. comic book. And the movie was not like they tried, you could tell they tried, but it just did not come across as well as they were hoping for. Yeah. Nah, so I don't know. Some, some things are best Speaking... left as comic books, I think.
2: Something that I think uh, did translated very, very well. Have you guys seen Tales from the Loop yet?
0: Uh, yes, I've watched the first couple of episodes.
2: Yeah. Isn't it like, it's, it's great sci-fi. It's like a short sci-fi series for those of you don't know, um, based on like a series
0: of paintings
2: by a, he's like kind of a classically trained artist who, who does like kind of sci-fi paintings. Yes. Yeah. Um, But like the, the stories, I think so often in sci-fi anthologies, it's kind of mixed with horror. It's like always kind of like horror sci-fi So in every single Tales from the Loop story, I'm like, oh, I could see how this could like be twisted into a dark ending. And I'm kind of half expecting that, but it's not. They're all like- Well, one of them
0: is. Are one of them, one, yeah one of them kind of ends weird like i've only re- watched maybe three or four of them at this point but there's one that does, does not have a good ending for one character for sure um but i would say what i really love about this of course we we live in winnipeg and that was shot here in winnipeg and it is very apparent in every single shot of that series that that, that is where it is like it just feels like home to me
1: <laughs> right
2: yeah yeah very well familiar. i look forward
1: to checking it out Um, The other thing, okay, so we're talking about like images that get to world building, right? Which led to the loop, Mm -hmm. led to Red Star and all that stuff. This uh, King's Metal story that we broke the other episode, Mm -hmm. I've realized fits perfectly into the Once Lands stories that I was working on. uh, Those like sword and mythos things. And I have just, I've been mildly obsessed. All my like just creative thinking time, I've filled up with building out the world of. Um, so, for the dear listener, I wrote uh, with James Gillespie a uh, collection of short stories called The Once Lands, which we collected with some work that Jonathan Ball wrote and Chadwick Ginther wrote uh, into these little short story collections called Shared World. And sort of, you know, it's like a fantasy adventure, sword and mythos kind of uh, vibe. And I've been wanting to expand the world or get more into it. And I didn't have a way in. And then we brainstormed that King's Medal story. Man, I have been mildly obsessed with with how that works. And also, what would happen to the cosmology and religions of a place where the planet had a ring around it? What would Mm. be, right? If you looked up in the night sky and saw this ribbon of color and light every night, And every day it was still visible, what it would do to the religions of that world, what it would do to the belief systems of that world, right? So I've been digging into all my Uh, Campbell collections.
2: Help me out with astrology for a second. Are are the rings geo-locked to the planet? Like do Saturn's rings rotate with it?
1: I'm gonna be a well actually guy for a second. You mean uh, astronomy not astrology Okay. astrology is the fictitious belief that where a star is in the sky has any bearing on your spirit soul or destiny astronomy right. is the study of the motion of the planets and how they relate to the physical laws of the universe
2: astronomy question for you
1: okay that's my well actually <laughs> moment of the day I won't talk down to you anymore today.
2: (laughs) It's going to fall really flat if you now can't answer my question.
1: Yeah, they are linked. They are linked. Um, They're on a stable plane of orbit around the planet.
2: So you'd be looking up at the exact same point of the ring, no matter where. Yeah.
1: Well, no, the ring would rotate. So the ring might be made of different constituent parts that then circle around that planet. Right? Just the way our moon, we see it differently because it rotates around us. And depending on the light of the sun, we see different amounts of the moon. I think you're, gonna have, to,
0: you're gonna have to draw it for us, Greg.
1: I will draw it for you. I've been <laughs> drawing it, Dan, you have no idea. Um, uh, but just,
0: I just quickly want to say, uh, my, it's giving me the update that we have, or the notification that we have four minutes left in this. So when, it might know. cut us off, and then if that happens, we'll, or maybe we should stop right now and, and just restart.
1: Sure, now last time when there was only three of us, after you left, Dan, yeah automatically let it go so let's do an experiment here okay right let's see let what I happens see. when there's only three of us if it automatically gives so oh you
0: want me just to stop let's just keep talking and then see yeah, what keep happens and then, okay and then, so if it, if it does cut us off then i'll just stay on zoom and i'll I'll call you guys back
1: perfect yeah okay. re-
0: Reinvite invite yeah. you in yeah
1: so what i was saying there is that the rings would be different amounts of them would be visible depending on where the sun is in real of course
2: Right. But the ring itself is not rotating at a different rate than the planet.
1: Uh, no, it could be, yeah, because it would depend on what it's made of. Just like the moon rotates at a different, uh, you know, like the we always see the same face of the moon because of the speed of its rotation relative to our rotation on the Earth. So depending on the far away elements of the ring would rotate at a different rate than the close-up ones. Considering that the ring would be made up of, you know trillions of different particles from the size of a grain of salt to the size of a small moon hmm. it's bonkers <laughs> science yeah science is great so uh you know like when thinking about how that would affect you know like for example um the north star in so many earth like actual present day uh, cosmologies is an important star It has different names in almost every culture, but it was a star that was very bright, that you could guide by, you could hunt by, you could figure out where you were, your relative position on the earth based on where that star was at different times of the year. Well, imagine now a giant, like, it would look like a roadway of light, right? Or shadow that was always slicing through the sky at different, depending on where you were on the planet, it would have a different, a whole different way to be interpreted. So I've been having fun with that. And then the idea that we had left over from that story that parts of it would fall to the planet and be made of strange materials that they don't know about. Oh man, so many good things. The bodies of old dead gods floating among the rings of the world. It's good stuff. So thanks guys. I'm gonna steal that and make that into a dollar <laughs> dollar Netflix franchise. And- my uh, uh, cut. Yeah, I'll put your name in the credits. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I've been doing a lot more since this, uh, you know, distancing is I've been getting together with different groups of uh, friends of mine to uh, participate in D&D campaigns and to run different fantasy adventure stories and to run role-playing games for the neighbor's kids and all this stuff through video conferencing. So I've been getting my... uh, I've definitely been getting my babysitting credit slash uh writing credits all rolled into the same time period
0: that's cool how how well does it work um on that as opposed to doing it in person
1: so i D&D, in my humble opinion is not made for distance gaming uh under the new fifth edition rules you basically have to use this website called Roll d20 and The learning curve and the amount of homework related to it, to me, and this is just me, some people love that stuff, uh, Mm -hmm. takes me out of the storytelling, takes me out of the immediacy of why I would, you know, I play role-playing games because what it really is is myth-making. It's like a whole bunch of people making up a story under certain rules and conditions. That's great. That's fun to me. Um, Having to (laughs) wait 40 minutes for my turn to click a little thing that rolls in rolls an electronic dice less fun for me hmm. mm-hmm. so that's Fact. just that's just me but I mean also it has to do with all of us learning the technology part of it is that the first 40 minutes is always everyone going can you hear me you hear, am I, hey guys ah oh, okay send me a link again ah oh. right that's at least the first 40 minutes to now
0: that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm letting him in right now. All right. (laughs) Come on, come on. What are you doing? Admit. There he is. There he is. All right. So no... uh, no free no free thing from uh what's it called today zoom zoom
2: when it when it does happen does it happen like right as it's about to end yeah
0: i think that's what happened to you guys last time right
2: yeah yeah uh i can't remember i wasn't hosting so i'm not sure yeah but i don't know if it comes
1: here please enjoy
0: oh now you're cutting out greg what have I done to you know why because I don't know why cuz you cut out (laughs) you know why it's because that's what I heard
2: (laughs) that's also what I heard
0: I'll turn off my video maybe that's how uh, stopping something there we go how about now better
1: better yeah it's (laughs) your fault
0: why is it my fault
1: well can't be my fault I'm the host All right, um, what were you we talking about? Oh, I was just...
0: I, losing you. Oh losing you.
2: Damn it. Wow. Am I garbling at you're all? You're fine.
0: Or? No, you're perfectly okay. fine. It's just Greg is just cutting it just and Greg. Get back into where you were, whatever room you were in. Just mucking climb, things up. Climb up on the roof and hold your phone up.
1: Very I'll weird. disconnect and then reconnect. All right. Maybe, yeah. That might work.
0: Have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> so I bought um I bought a PlayStation Classic this weekend. What? Like a, you know those are those little mini systems.
2: A little emulator.
0: Yeah, it's like well, it's the official what? one from Sony.
2: Oh, killer! What's it got on it? It's
0: got uh, well, the reason I got it is because I wanted to play Metal Gear Solid. That was the game I've been playing yeah. for for a long time. But then I saw, of course, everyone's been playing Final Fantasy VII, including you, I think, right? You've got. Oh that. my god,
2: that was such a big part of my childhood. Yeah.
0: Right. So I wanted to play that as well. Like, I don't have a PlayStation Four, um, and it's going to be at least a year before that's going to be available on Xbox. That Final Fantasy VII, because of the exclusivity deal. So I'm yeah. like, I'll just play the original. So this little system, it's like sixty bucks, and it's got, it's got Metal Gear Solid, place or Final Fantasy VII. It's also got the original Grand Theft Auto it's oh, got wow. um, wild arms it's got a couple of really good games on it. it's got siphon filter which is a good game oh but, i remember that one you know, jeez like, i mean like, it, it was like i was looking up reviews and stuff it was a bit criticized when it came out because it doesn't have any um no crash bandicoot games for some reason
2: like oh, that know, was like, like
0: the like
2: flagship title of for well, that, like, that was
0: like the mario of playstation right like exactly how you yeah have a, how can you not have a Crash Bandicoot game. Um so I'm just playing right now I'm just playing Metal Gear Solid and that's I'm just gonna yeah. play that all the way through and finish it and then play Final Fantasy Seven. I'm sure that'll be
2: Wait, how is it gonna work when you fight Psychomantis and you can't unplug the controller and plug it back into the other port?
0: No, you can do that. You can do that. Okay, cool. Yeah, it comes with controllers, but it's um but it's uh they're USB controllers. That's cool. But they look a lot they look exactly like the originals. And that's awesome. Now, but you know what's funny is that there is the part, I'm early in the game, but there's a part of the game where it says you're supposed to contact this person and her codec is on the back of the box. Which oh, it's, crap. The number is on the back of the CD case of the game, which oh, I don't have.
2: Merrill or whatever? Yeah. Oh,
0: you remember this yeah. game? Yeah. Um, I
2: remember that part because I borrowed it from a friend and I didn't have the box. Okay. So I couldn't get past that part because I also, yeah, couldn't look at the back of the box to see a number.
0: Well, I just I spent like an hour wandering around last night, going to every single part, trying to figure out what to do next. And I finally just looked up a, a walkthrough and said, "Oh, okay, that's something." I there's no way I could could have done that because I don't have the box. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty fun though. I'm having a good time. It's hard. the awesome. game is hard. So how's the how's the reboot of Final Fantasy VII? It's great. It's
2: yeah? uh, like they they, they're following the first game fairly closely, but adding a lot of additional story and character development and some new characters. So they're just kind of um, like the, the first chapter that's available is uh, kind of like, there's 20 chapters available in the first chunk that just came out. Mm-hmm. And in the original game, it took you probably like five, six hours to get to that point. Um, but it's like 20 to 30 hours in this new one because there's just so much more fleshed out in, that, in the beginning um the the only like the one of the big things i liked about like old rpgs was like the grinding aspect like you if you were starting to like have trouble with like bosses or enemies you could like run around an area and level up and level up and level up and like you know then things become easier and this game really doesn't encourage that or allow that like you can't you can't really level up your characters or sit like explore and grind the way you could in the old game, and that was like one of my favorite parts. So, I think they'll probably have options like that in the next couple of chapters. But yeah, it kind of bugged me that uh, I couldn't—you know—you can't explore these areas that you're not supposed to be exploring and like get your butt kicked. Like they don't have anything like that.
0: You can't just wander around in the countryside.
2: Exactly. Well, oh. I, that that hasn't happened yet. That'll eventually okay. happen. But that's always a, a fun part—is like the open world that you can explore. And you know you're not supposed to be in an area when you run into an enemy that you have no hope of beating, right? That was kind of the like, oh, I shouldn't be here. Right. And uh this one they keep you really linear. And even if you try to like explore, like your characters will start like, hey, you're going the wrong way, and eventually it'll just stop you and make you turn
0: around. Uh sorry, Justin. Uh Greg, it's not working for Greg. I'm gonna try and stop the meeting and restart it. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Okay, hold on. This
2: is the space. I'm an intergalactic traveler from the Federation planet Earth. Gordo? when like Swamp Thing came out around the same time as, uh, like the second RoboCop that had like a huge toy line was the first one that had a huge toy line.
0: Oh, I can't remember. I, I was, was either, like
2: either of those though. They should not have been. They shouldn't have had toy lines like those movies should not have been watched by kids
0: well robocop certainly and i did yeah. see that movie when i was a kid me too um, but
2: i really shouldn't have right no exactly
0: <laughs> and but the other thing that, that you would also see is that uh like stuff like friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street would also have toys um aimed at kids and even like video games and stuff like that as well it seems weird that they would do that but yeah I certainly wanted to to kind of like my i i liked i don't think I saw any of those movies until a little, a little bit later. I certainly was under eighteen when I saw them, but I definitely watched Robocop when i was whenever it first came out on video, which is probably nineteen eighty seven <laughs> so I would have been oh, eleven man. years old um yeah and th- that's, that's, that's a, a graphic graphic movie <laughs> oh yeah man that's crazy that how how bloody that movie is um but yeah, the toys, that, like the Swamp Thing, uh, I do think that film was aimed at that audience. Like I was, uh, saw. So I was surprised. It was 1989. It was my 1989 movie. And I would have been 13 years old when that came out. I would have been perfect for that when it came out because there was no nudity or any sex or anything. There was a suggestion of it and certainly some scenes that could be taken that way, but it wasn't um, overly like, you know, gratuitous with any of that stuff. So it, I believe it was a PG-13 rating.
2: Yeah, Dad. Um, did you get a chance to check out? They did a show. They had a Swamp Thing show that was I, kind of like got caught up in the buying and selling of a studio or something, and so it got
0: lost. The new one, you mean? Yeah, like yeah. I have it on my PVR. I have not watched it yet. Watch. I have it on my PVR. Okay. I yeah. I was like I, I remember seeing the promo for it. I'm like oh yeah I'll check that out and then I just I never got to it, but I still have like seven or eight episodes on there. And yeah, I don't know but what what's happened going on there. It. it
2: was the uh, it was like part of like the DC TV. Um, like family or something and then that whole thing collapsed and the swamp thing kind of got lost with it. It was
0: Oh, it's too bad. I really Yeah. Uh, I always like the Swamp Thing. It's like I don't yeah. I was never a big D C person. So just to the dear listener, we're gonna continue on. We've lost Gregory to the uh the wild internet. Um he's uh, unable to connect. We've been trying to do this for a couple couple minutes now and he's just I don't know if he's listening or what is going on. It shows that he's still there.
1: Part 2 of the audio recording as I try to connect to Dan's Zoom account. Come with me as we ply the audio maze and labyrinth of the Join the Meeting slash Connect button on Zoom. Join without video. Connect. What strange disconnections await our hero as he slowly, inexorably approaches Zoom. Please wait. The meeting host will let you in soon. Dan Vadebancur's meeting is beginning. Now, soon connecting spinning wheelie thing.
0: Um, but he's texted us, go on, (laughs) says, Go on without me. It's up to you now. (laughs) so we have to carry this forward um and we're just going to talk about Swamp Thing for the rest of the episode I think that's, that's what we're going to do yeah, no. yeah. um <laughs> what I was going to ask you is uh so how does the work continues for you and just in your kind of isolation are you able to can, can you working on J- Dragon Annie and stuff like that
2: yeah the uh the Starlight um stretch goals are keeping me busy for the next little while as well like the uh because they they met a lot of their stretch goals, that just means a lot more ship designs, a lot more enemies and more um, kind of like, yeah, they're just gonna need a lot more artwork for all the extra stuff. Um, And then I've got Dragon Nanny and uh, I'm going to be endeavoring into enamel pins right away. So I've got like a whole lineup of pin designs that I'm working on. Um, And then my next art book was supposed to be printing right around now but I'm just kind of taking the extra time to uh, buff it out to be a bigger art book. So I've got, I've got lots and lots on the plate. So no, no shortage of work.
0: Gregory says, what about our 10 day blitz book?
2: Oh yeah, that was uh, so was two years ago, Gregory and I um, on the way to Edmonton, I think we storyboarded and story broke um, uh, Snow Troll's Daughter, and Red and See Through. And so, like, on the trip, we kind of sketched it all out. And we had it all planned out. And then when we got back to the studio, in, like, ten days of painting at the computer, we started and finished those stories and printed a book that had both stories, and it was a flip book. So my story was on one side, and then the middle, when it felt broke, you flipped it over, and it was Gregory's story starting from the other side. And uh, we, I think like we kind of made the deal with ourselves when this was happening, like if the Calgary Comic-Con is canceled, we should take that weekend that we would normally be away from home and do another story set in those same woods as the first one. So Calgary has been, they postponed it to July and that feels really ambitious to me.
0: Yeah, I I agree.
2: Yeah, like... I, I can't, I can't see that coming through. So I'm wondering if they did that just to like keep the retainer on the, the location or. I
0: mean, the thing is like, wishful thinking is the same thing I was going through with fan quest. Like I really yeah. want to have my event and I don't want it to be postponed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just their whole thing is that they really want to happen. They have it. Sorry. Oh, I oh, said yeah. I love this. This is like Greg's just feeding back to us by text. Um, he says it's not happening in July. Wishful thinking for sure. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, it's it's just they're they're just like they will cancel it eventually. I think, um what was the uh, t- here in Winnipeg, our biggest festival of the year folk fest uh, it was canceled the other day, and that's in oh, July man. as well. so that's not and happening. that's
2: been going on for like
0: it's almost fifty years now,
2: yeah, it's yeah. been man, crazy. So I imagine uh, like San Diego as well, i I fully expect to be yeah. canceled. and i I that's another huge event that I'm sure has not been cancelled since its inception. that's uh man but i mean uh yeah
0: so so you guys are going to do this now you're going to create this book
2: yeah we'll have to uh like we we both kind of have rough ideas so i think yeah we'll have to kind of figure out the format of it because the like originally i think when we were planning this we'd be working at the studio together and kind of feeding off each other's progress we'll need to set up some kind of um either like a dropbox folder or regular meetings where we go over how things are coming along i don't know we'll uh we'll have to plan that out but i i love the idea of another like kind of week-long binge project where that's all you concentrate on
0: i think i like the idea of creating something in a short period of time like that um, yeah it doesn't I think give that- you any
2: Time to second guess
0: yourself, right? It, it's um, and it, it reminds me of uh, Cabin in the Woods, which was also created in that way. It was Drew Goddard and and Joss Whedon sitting down in, in a hotel room and writing that in a really? weekend. I think, yeah, they got, they came oh up with that really, really quickly, and just kind of were not afraid to to throw everything at the wall, and that that came out so well. Um, I absolutely
2: love that movie.
0: Yeah, it, it's uh, it's interesting. I remember reading a piece about it where Drew Goddard, like Drew Goddard, directed it, but. Joss Whedon could have easily said, oh, I want to direct. <laughs> he, he said, no, yeah. you go ahead because he didn't want to direct it. But he could have because he had more clout and he's a better known name. Now, Drew Goddard is, is more known on his own. But that was a great, uh, it's a great movie. And, and to think that they came up with that on the weekend was really cool.
1: I, I don't understand what you're talking about. I remember both at the same time. It, it, it's, it's like waking up from a dream and you're not sure what's real.
0: So Greg is screaming for attention. Um, on <laughs> and He says 24 hour comics day. What is 24 hours comics day?
2: Um, well, it's an event that happens. It's like a set day of the year um, that you're supposed to make a comic in 24 hours. And same deal. You're not supposed to uh, have any planning or forethought beforehand. I think it's supposed to be all kind of done in that 24 hours. So I don't know if our book would quite, into that format because like we could do a 24-hour comic but those are usually fairly short yeah um yeah and i think we want to we want to have a couple more pages 24 hours nothing but the book we should try
0: yeah. See, they're, and they're, I know, like, for video games, See, they, do, yeah. <laughs> they do game jams. Like, game jams are, like, when a bunch of people get together and they create. Yes. Usually, it's over a weekend. Yeah. And they, they'll create, like, a, a video game in, in that time. So, they'll write it and they'll, they'll you know, code it. And basically, they're usually pretty simple, but there's been some really cool um, games to come out of that kind of stuff as well.
2: Yeah. And usually, they, uh, like, it's a programmer working with an artist that is, they've never worked with before, right? They just get teamed up. It's like, okay, I'll create the art assets, you do the programming, and then yep. we have this animator that we just met. Um, and so you get some really crazy, awesome, organic chemistry happening happening there. And a lot of them, like the really successful ones, that team will like further build upon those, you yeah. know? Because like, you can really only get like a level done or like a bit of a game. And if there's really something there, you're gonna want to, uh, yeah.
0: It's a great, uh, it it's a great exercise, and so and, and so it's uh, worth taking part in regardless of the medium. Greg is screaming only comics. At us. I don't <laughs> see, know what like, that means, but to uh, me,
2: the like the most appealing part about like twenty four hours comics day or like the the game jam is getting together in a room with a whole bunch of creatives and like you're kind of feeding off each other's progress and energy. Yes, so. Like, and that's why I say like, we will need to figure out some kind of format to to kind of keep that, you know, we can't just text
0: each other the day before. Okay, it
2: starts then and it ends then and we'll see you after that. Like doing it on your own, I don't think would have nearly the same energy.
0: It's not really something you can do with social distancing it sounds like.
2: No, no. Well, you know, like you usually like the, for the game jams, for example, I think Greg has done this with some people for the comics thing too. There's usually some big uh, like you'll rent out a classroom or you'll get a floor of a building and there'll be workstations everywhere and you know people will be ordering pizzas and there's like food and like there's just you're living together for 24 hours and right. just working. yeah, and that's kind of the appeal of those things to me is like being in that kind of environment, like that stew of creativity for 24 hours is that's what I kind of want to get out of it, more yeah. so than just setting aside a day to work by yourself
0: (laughs) that's right because that's what you're doing right now
2: yeah yeah
0: (laughs) well that sounds like a great idea and uh i look forward to seeing what you guys come up with i think it's going to be a lot of fun
2: yeah yeah as well okay
0: well i think that should about do it for this episode um we it seems weird to have gregory just listening and not speaking up you say something greg so weird i can see him i can see his his icon there <laughs> it's like in um what is, is there a movie where someone has to tap out morse code what was that what was that uh video the metallica video remember that
2: mm, um no
0: one and it's about it's a, it's uh they took clips from an old film where this guy has to communicate by nodding because he he lost his arms and legs and he can't speak oh um, there, it's a really gruesome video and it's a really disturbing movie I don't remember what the name of the movie is but he cannot talk he has to communicate by like Morse code like nodding in Morse code kind of thing which is really, yeah. really weird Anyway, uh, all right, this has been Super Pulp Science where we talk about how genre gets made uh, I'm Dan Vadabonker along with Justin Curry aka Chasing Artwork and the absent in voice but not in spirit uh, Gregory Kamichuk urging you to join the fight and make comics